The scripture reading today is from Paul's letter to the Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So then, with endurance, let's also run the race that is laid out in front of us. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up, and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring the shame for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him, and sat down at the right side of God's throne. Think about the one who endured such an opposition from sinners so that you won't be discouraged and you won't give up. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Thank you, Sela, for that impassioned reading. Good morning, friends. My name is Emily McGinley, and I have the great joy of serving as your pastor. If you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she, her, and hers um, as we uh, turn our hearts and our minds to what God might have to say to us. I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the gift to come together um, as this part of your cloud of witnesses. We thank you um, for... Uh, for the opportunity to um, be reminded of the ways in which we are connected to one another as a community here in body, in this space, across the ones and zeros, through the internet, um, and among those who have come before us but are no longer with us. We ask that you would be present in this space and clear away the clutter um, of our hearts and our minds. Help us to tune in to what it is that you are wanting to speak to us. And so I ask that you would speak through me. Um, that uh, I might uh, be your mouthpiece of grace, of challenge, of invitation, of possibility in whatever ways that you are inviting me to participate in that. We pray this with gratitude and in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So a couple of weeks after we moved um, to San Francisco here, I met Carl. Not whichever Carl was up here, right there. Um, and if you're like me, you didn't exactly know that you had met Carl when you did. Uh, it wasn't until someone told me that they followed Carl on Instagram and saw my puzzled face, because I actually tried to look up Carl on Instagram, and I don't think he has an account, um, that I realized simultaneously that Carl was not a person, and that the fog which filters through the Golden Gate had a name, Carl. Living in the Richmond, I came to learn that not only would I greet Carl on the regular, but that Carl's gentle friend would announce Carl's arrival through regular intervals throughout the day and night with a low and morose tone. <coughs> the foghorn is, I've come to realize, Eeyore to Carl's Winnie the Pooh. 
Carl the Fog, which is really just Carl the low-lying cloud, who loves San Francisco so much that they came down from the atmosphere to walk its streets with a great and sudden presence was, of course, one of the first images that came to mind when I reflected on this passage with our staff a couple of weeks ago. Carl is our great cloud. Definitely, literally, but also kind of figuratively. Carl may not be a person, but they are certainly a persona, and they definitely have garnered the affection of San Franciscans near and far. Carl is the great cloud of San Francisco, and a great cloud, albeit a slightly different one, is what our passage for today is talking about in this last week of our sermon series entitled, How to Be a Good Ancestor. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've zoomed in on this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the early Jewish Christian community, a group of folks close to his heart, if only because they share the same kind of frameworks and history and hopes and stories that have shaped his own understanding of God and God's work in the world. These are folks who know themselves not by what they've done or where they live, but by who they are and whose they are. And this term cloud, nephos in the Greek that Paul uses, it's actually the word that people would use um, back in the day at that time when they talked about a great gathering of people at a sporting event. In other words, a cloud is a crowd. Every time a gladiator made their way to the podium, the announcer would shout, and the cloud goes wild. The camera would pan out and you would see rows upon rows of shouting, clapping, cheering, or jeering spectators who were there to encourage or disparage the teams on the field. It was a ragtag throng of people with equally ragtag motivations. But in our passage for today, this is no anonymous crowd. They are distinct by the commitment that they have made to follow God and God's promise to care for them. There are the notables like Abraham, Sarah, and Moses, but there are many, many others. The dads and moms, aunties and uncles, sisters and siblings in the faith who Paul means um, who, when he talks about how we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. People who can testify to their own experiences of what it's like to be on the field. Zoom in at any part of the picture and you'll see a familiar face. This isn't just any cloud, it's your cloud. When I win tonight's Trunk or Treat contest and get those tickets to see the 49ers play the New Orleans Saints, do you hear me, RJ? I'll walk into Levi's Stadium and I'll expect that I'll see all the 49ers fans wearing red and gold. And maybe I'll see some folks wearing black and gold to represent their love for the Saints. But in the stadium that Paul is talking about, in that great cloud of a crowd, there is no distinction of team colors because everyone is on the same team. This is God's team. And they are here to cheer on any person who is out there running that great race that God has set before them. And they're not cheering us on because they love us so much, although they do. They're cheering us on because they know just how hard this race can be. Paul knows what kind of discouragement these folks are grappling with. He knows the kind of stress and persecution that they're experiencing, both from the Roman political side as well as from their own Jewish faith community that are like, what are you doing following this guy? He died. He's a criminal. They're stuck in the middle and maybe even wondering if it's worth it. They need encouragement and a reminder that they have access to a rich legacy of faith and faithfulness of those who could witness to their own struggles. These witnesses aren't just spectators, they are former athletes. 
They have had their time on the field and they are invested in your performance, our performance. And they want to see how far we can go from where they left off. Because you see, this isn't just a 500 meter dash or even a marathon, this is a relay. Now, I recently had the opportunity to acquire here in this bag, this bag here holds the result of careful and diligent technological advancement. It isn't copyrighted, although there are some folks who are trying to do that now. But it is the work of very gifted and intelligent folks who have specialized in the business. Now, this item did not take years or decades or even centuries to become what it is today. No, it took nearly 9,000 years. Does anyone know what it is? Are you ready? What is it? It's corn. Yes, corn. Or as it would have been known then, maize. 9,000 years ago, corn was about three quarters of an inch long and basically like grass that had gone to seed. All eight known varieties could only be found in Central America. And then somehow someone thought, that looks like it could be delicious if it was a thousand times bigger and if I smothered it with melted butter. <laughs> then again, what doesn't taste good smothered in melted butter, right? But so this agriculture, there was some kind of agricultural scientist that put their hand on their chin and they got to work. And after about 3,000 years of selective breeding, they had a slightly larger piece of cord, about an inch long. A few more thousand years and miles later, varieties of corn that look a lot more like what many of us enjoy, steamed, popped, grilled, or puffed, started to emerge. 9,000 years. Can you imagine it? I mean, I could picture that farmer 8,000 or even 6,000 years ago saying, you know what, this really isn't going anywhere. <laughs> it's not worth it, I'm throwing in the towel. Or even 1,000 years ago thinking, look, it's fine, right? Look at that, that's not too bad, right? But for some reason, they kept going, 9,000 years. Conservatively thinking, that's about 3,000 generations, right? 3,000 generations of careful, diligent, faithful, tilling, planting, harvesting, sorting, and planting again, over and over, year after year, trusting that somehow their efforts would make some kind of difference in the years to come, even if they never got to see the result. I don't know what those farmers were thinking all along the way, and I really don't understand how they got through those first few thousand years with so little evidence that their perseverance and their persistence was gonna make any difference. And yet somehow they did. Surely they persevered in the face of all kinds of disappointments, discouragement, and maybe even disagreements among one another. This is the better way. No, this is the better way. There were droughts, famine, disease, and maybe even dis, um, uh, depression, war, self-doubt, troubled relationships, for, or even economic challenges. Maybe, so then, what kept them going was just kind of some general sense of obligation to those who had come before, or their own dogged determination. But whatever it was, there were surely some moments when they were ready to give up, at least once or twice, 
let's be honest, right? But somehow, somehow they didn't. So then with endurance, let us also run the race that is laid out before us. The race that God sets before us isn't mine or yours alone. It's one race in which we all, each, have a leg to run. Each person in the cloud knows what it's like to carry that baton because they once carried it. They once ran until their legs were shaking and their lungs were burning. They know what it's like to feel strong, and they know what it's like when you feel like you just can't go on. They are invested in you, in us, because our race is their race. And we pick up where they left off to do the best that we can with what we have so that those who take the baton from us might have a better chance of running even faster and farther than we did. Now, every year about this time, we have the opportunity to pause and reflect on all those runners who pass the baton to us in what the church calls All Saints Sunday. Barbara talked a little bit about it. And while some of you may have grown up in a tradition that venerated saints as maybe holy or higher, in the, in the Reformed tradition, today is also um, Reformation Sunday, which I'm not going to get into it, but in the Reformed tradition, we recognize that all of God's people make up the saints of the church, not just a few selective special ones. Through baptism, we believe and we understand that we are connected to one another in a profound and powerful way that binds us together as the body of Christ from generation to generation. And because of this, it is especially important to cultivate that connection so that as we hand off our baton, we can give that next generation the opportunity to run their race well. Now, my stint in track was very, very, very short. <laughs> but I did learn that the most important aspects of a relay race one of the most important aspects of a relay race is a good handoff. Now, first, the next person who has, has to start running, so there's like the first leg of the race, the person's running, then the next person has to start running to kind of match the speed of the person handing off to them. But that's actually the easy part, right? Next, once they're all synced up, they have to time the movements of their arms and positions of their hands so that the baton can not only be handed off smoothly, but also carefully so that it won't get dropped in the passing. Now you have to pay attention to your relay partners. You have to trust them and they have to trust you. And along the way, you might even have some fun doing it. I love how those guys start smiling about halfway through the exercise because they're like, we're doing this. It's working. And you can tell that they're kind of feeling some joy at how long they're able to keep passing the baton without making a mistake. Passing the baton isn't something that just happens, right? It requires cultivation. It takes practice patience and relationship building. Now today, as you haven't noticed, uh, we're gathered for worship across all ages. And if you really haven't noticed, I'm very impressed by your powers of concentration. And while it may not be the preferred way for everyone to worship all the time, it is an essential practice for us. Even if we don't like kids, we don't ever want to have them, we don't even like our own kids, right? It doesn't matter. It's important for us to be together because it reminds us that our journeys are shared. That even as some of us may be picking off from those who came before us, we are also handing off to those who came after us. 
gathering together is one way that helps us get in sync as a community and improve that handoff, right? This is how we cultivate our cloud. Now, we've spent the last couple of weeks reflecting on what it means to be a good ancestor. And part of this involves remembering those who have passed the baton to us. And then last week, Pastor Melissa called us up uh, to think about what it means to be otherwise. In other words, remembering that how we are connected to those around us who are running alongside us in this present leg of the race. Today, I want to invite you to not only recall the past and think about the present, but to reflect on the future. Who has cultivated your faith? And how are you cultivating those who are coming after you? whether you are related to them by blood or not. For me, I remember Bill Yoder of Akron, Ohio, who spent his life as a Presbyterian missionary and teacher in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And it was Bill who, over 60 years of ministry, took in various boys, raised them up, supported them through higher education, and gathered them all in, along with his grandchildren, year after year at his home for holiday dinners and family vacations. And it was Bill who during a year of service uh, in, in Chiang Mai, uh, I got to know and then became part of his family. He's the one who invited me to consider ministry and encouraged me to just think about it when I told him that I didn't think women could be pastors. He knew enough to let me find my way, but that didn't prevent him from telling me what he saw in me and cultivating his cloud by cultivating my faith. Now, Bill's face is just one among many in the cl my cloud that encourages me when I begin to feel overwhelmed or underqualified. And maybe in my efforts to love and teach and challenge and journey alongside others, someone else will find their encouragement in me. So what are you doing to cultivate your cloud? How are you encouraging those who are coming up after you? In a moment, during the time of reflection after this sermon, I invite you to reflect on this. You can maybe go to one of the clouds on the tables um, in the back and write that person's name that you're trying to cultivate, or maybe someone who cultivated you, or just sit in your seat and reflect and give thanks. Being a good ancestor involves knowing that as you run your race, we don't run alone. That there are countless others who have not only helped you to get where you are and who are cheering you on, but also running alongside you, knowing, too, that there are those ahead who are waiting to take the baton from you. They're trying to get their, their pace up, right, to catch you. Each ancestor had their leg of the race to run, and we are no different. Paul is here to remind us that we have ours. Yet no matter how fast or how far we go, the prize remains the same. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith who, for the sake of joy, ran ahead of us and showed us that the race can be finished. Jesus, who is not only waiting at the finish line, but also somehow simultaneously running alongside us too. Jesus is our power and our prize. So we fix our eyes on him as we put one foot in front of the other until one day we join that great cloud of a crowd and cheer on those who come after us, knowing just how terrible wonderful, difficult, and joyful that race can be. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the ways in which your creation reminds us that we are part of such a bigger story, whether it is corn 
or trees or other forms of technology or just another day, we thank you, God, that you invite us to be your people as we run this leg of the race, reminded that we are your people, part of a much greater cloud of people who cheer us on, who challenge us, who hold us accountable, who love us. And so we ask, God, that as we reflect during this time, that we would remember those people and we would also have an opportunity to think about who it is that you are inviting us to cultivate, how we are cultivating that next generation, the cloud that we are a part of, and that we get to um, cultivate for those who follow after us. We pray all of this with gratitude in your son Jesus' name. Amen.